Hi, everyone. Thanks for being in church today. Good to see you all. I wanted to begin today uh, by uh, telling you a story from my family background. It's, it's kind of an awkward story, but it illustrates a point. Because how you tell a story uh, really can change the meaning of it. How you, how you tell a particular story will change the meaning of it. And I think you'll see that when we start to hear the stories from the Bible. How you tell them makes a big difference on how you hear them and what they mean. But first, let me tell you the story from my family background to illustrate the point. So we lived in Washington, D.C. area, right around Arlington, Virginia, a suburb of D.C. That's where I grew up. And um, you see, all the way from about fourth grade through college, I lived in the same house. Except for college, I was away at school, but I came back. All that time, we lived in Washington, D.C., except when I was in the sixth grade, about two years after we got there, my dad uh, got a promotion uh, from his government job where he worked in Washington. He was promoted, so he had to take the job in Philadelphia. They didn't have an equivalent position in Washington, so he took the job in Philadelphia. He worked for the old, well, I think it was called Health and Human Services. So he took the promotion to go up the ladder, but he had to move and get a, an apartment in Philly in order to uh, come home then only on the weekends, come back on the week, back and forth, back and forth every week, which got really tiring. My mom would pack up every Sunday night give him all kinds of food and leftovers and send him off with coolers full of stuff. And then he'd take it up there. <laughs> and take, he get, became an expert on how, how long it took, almost to this minute, how long it took him to get from house to apartment. Takes about three hours and 15 minutes in the old days. I-95 all the way from Washington to Philadelphia. So many years later, uh, after I gotten out of college, my dad got older, and he got Alzheimer's, and he finally died. And then during that time afterwards, my brother and I would tell stories about dad and the family. So I had always heard the story that, well, dad took the job to Philly because he was promoted, which was true. But he, he was unable to get back after many, many years to Washington, D.C., and I grew up thinking, well, dad just couldn't get back with promotion or a lateral move down or something like that. My brother said, that is all true, except mom and dad didn't have the easiest of marriages at the same time. So the news story was, yes, they stayed in Philadelphia, came back on the weekends, partially because their, their marriage was not all what it could have been. Wow, what a difference. Same story told two different ways. So, let me tell you one story of Christianity, just in a, in a nutshell, and then I'll tell you a second one. One of the stories of Christianity is this, that Jesus' life was lived primarily so that he could lead a sinless 
life in order that he could be offered as the perfect sacrifice, unblemished, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and go to heaven when we die. You've heard that story or something like it. He lived a sinless life in order that he could be the perfect sacrifice because God the Father needed a perfect sacrifice to forgive me and you of our sins. Now let me tell you a different story. Same story with a different twist. For me, this is a more compelling story. That Jesus' life has everything to do with my life here on this earth. That he lived this amazing life in order that he could be the pattern and the example and the empowerment for me to live a life like him and therefore have a tremendous life here on this earth. Now, those are two different stories, right? I'm going to go with the second one for the moment. It's not about how I get to heaven when I die, although I'm fine with going to heaven when I die. It's all much more interesting for me that Jesus' life, everything from birth and everything he did, was so I could see and know what it's like for a a spirit-filled person to be transformed. He shows me how to be a full human being so that as a disciple I can follow his way and I can live a life connected to God and live a life like Christ here in this world and then I'm happy to go to heaven when I die. But everything about his life can be interpreted as not only his life a long time ago, which we all get very excited about, as a single individual divine person. But I'd like to say I'm so excited about that divine person because it has everything not just to do with his life, but our lives and the life of every human being. So, his baptism, which we celebrate today, has something to say about our life. His temptations in the wilderness have something to say about our life. His nonviolent confrontation with people during Lent, which we'll get to later, has everything to do with our life. His death and sacrificial love has everything to do with our life. His dying will be like our dying. His rising will be like our rising. His ascension will be like our ascension, return to the Father. His life is the pattern. It is the template. It is the model for everyone. It's the universal life. That's pretty cool. So for me, the point of Jesus' life is all about his transcendence here in this world so his people can live a transcendent life. By transcendent, I mean exactly what happens in his baptism today. What happens at the baptism today is this a tremendous understanding of who he is in God. At the end, he comes out of the water and he hears the voice that says, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And spirit rests upon him like a dove. 
That's a tremendous shift, a transition for him in his life, where he, now he knows exactly who he is, not in his personality, not in his ego, not in his surface-level self. He knows the depth of his identity in God. He's full of the Holy Spirit. That becomes his new center, his anchor, his true being. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And that begins a whole sacred life, which I won't run through again, but all the way from his first day of ministry, all the way to his death and resurrection, he is a different kind of person because he has a different kind of center. So, with this new center, it becomes the, the hub of his life. I wanted to give you this example. I'm not sure it's the greatest one in the world, but try to use this analogy, if you would, just for a minute. I used to live uh, a while ago in Arkansas. Any uh, Razorbacks here? Yahoo, shoo-wee. <laughs> <laughs> so I was only there for a couple of years. They had no professional football team, so you had to follow the college team, the Razorbacks. That's why I say that. In any case, we lived in a small town on a lake called Greer's Ferry Lake. Small town north of Little Rock, which is right in the center of the state. And then halfway before you get to the border of the next state, whatever that state is, <laughs> is Heber Springs. The lake was designed, uh, was a man-made lake. They put a dam on a river and made this gigantic lake. I don't mean a little round circular pond. I mean not a reservoir, I mean a lake. They have lots of boats on this lake. The lake goes on for miles and miles and miles. There are islands. It looks like the coastline of, of Maine. Peninsulas and inlets. It's a huge lake. And it's great water. Everybody water skis on it. There's multiple marinas. It's a big, big lake. I believe that the water in our house up in Heber Springs came from that lake, obviously being cleaned up. But that was the source of our water. Turn the tap on, you're going to get water from Greer's Ferry Lake cleaned up. So the analogy is this. Who you are in God is your true identity, and you live your ordinary life in your ordinary world as a secondary identity. Just like the true water comes from that gigantic lake that would be our source in God, and our little lives, our secondary identities, how we express that. In this case, whereas as a bass player, as a drummer, as the best looking person in the second row. <laughs> Hi, Gloria. That's the idea, though. Our deep identity is in God. Our surface identity is as our, what we live our lives as. That makes a tremendous difference in our lives. It's a shift of identity. Who am I is the big, big question. Who am I? I want to say that everyone, after their baptism, they can say, I heard the Lord say, I am the beloved son and daughter of God. God is well pleased with me. The Holy Spirit rests upon me. That is our new or uncovered or revealed identity. Then we go on to play drums. Then you can play bass. Then you can do your regular life. But it's such a gigantic shift of identity. Who am I? Who are you, anyway? 
to be questioned. There are tremendous results and transformations that happen when we can shift our center from our egoic, small, surface identity and become identified and in union with this God, this spirit, this energy, this consciousness, big changes happen. A couple weeks ago I said I would always do sermons, I'd try to always do sermons that had some practical applications. And I would not just try to give you theories about theology, so I'll try again today. One of the results, one of the outcomes of when we have a shift of identity, like at our baptism, which mirrors Jesus' baptism, is this. I can be less codependent on you all. In other words, I don't need as much positive affirmation from you all to make me feel good about myself because I have a sense of who I am in God or in Christ. <laughs> the stronger my identity is in that big lake, that gigantic source of energy and power and consciousness, the more I sense my deep self from there, the less dependent I am in my egoic world, which is very sensitive. My egoic world, my personality, can be very dependent on whether you like me. And I'm always taking the temperature of the room, right? I take the temperature. So, well, does Linda like me today? I hope she said something nice to me. Or I hope this sermon goes well because I want to get a lot of compliments at the door because, oh my gosh, suppose I don't. Or how I look, do I need a haircut, which I really do. Is my bald spot showing? It really isn't because I'm too tall for you all. <laughs> but when I live out of my small self, it's very fragile. It's very fragile. It's dependent on how people see me. Kids do this all the time in school, right? Kids are very sensitive that whether they fit into the group or not, whether they sit at the cool kids table at lunch or they're at the other table, but it goes on and carries on all the way through adulthood. Everybody wants to be seen and liked and appreciated and honored and achieve status in the world, which is exhausting and very difficult. But if I can know who I am in God, and not just kind of intellectually, not just, well, it's a nice idea that, well, the Bible says I'm the son or daughter of God, this pastor told me that the Holy Spirit rests upon me and that I'm full of the divine. But if that can move from theory into experiential reality, that would make a huge difference in everyone's life. One of the ways I try to make that shift, make that change, when I want to remember who I really am, when I want to remember my baptism, when I want to go to my deep identity, I say this mantra, this little line of prayer, which mirrors what was happening in the scripture today. I say to myself, I say, I am the beloved of the lover in love. I am the beloved of God, who is the lover, and I walk in the world of love. It's almost like a trinity, isn't it? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I am the beloved 
of the lover in love. I just change the preposition. I use that in my prayer time. The time I go to be quiet, lots of times I don't say prayers telling God what he needs to do with the world, reminding God of who needs my approval and who needs to be punished. <laughs> reminding him of exactly which law I went past in Congress and which one I hope he strikes dead. I can do that, but I think God can handle that on his own most of the time. What I really need in prayer is to remember who I am. So I take a few minutes and I say repeatedly, I am the beloved, like Jesus, of the lover, God who is love. And I walk in love, like spirit, all around me. I am the beloved of the lover in love. It begins to transform my identity because Jesus' baptism is meant for us. It wasn't just for Jesus a long time ago. He becomes the pattern he becomes the way, the truth, and the life. His life is meant to be our life. And it all begins with a great shift of identity. It's not that we ever lose our other one, just that we go deeper in this one. I'll always be David, the guy who tells goofy jokes in the sermon and can't really bring it to an end. But I'll know myself at a deeper level say, ah, oh, but I am deep down in my bones, in my essence, the beloved of God. God is well pleased with me. Not that I do everything perfectly, but everyone here is the beloved of God, and you cannot get God to love you any more. You cannot get God to love you any less. God's love for you is exactly the way it's always been, complete, 100% unconditional love. Therefore, I don't need everyone's approval about everything. I don't need to take the temperature all the time from everybody. I don't even need to take my own temperature. Oh, was I good today? Was I bad today? Was I acceptable or unacceptable? I try to go back to my deep lake, my deep identity, the deep place to say, remember, David, you are the beloved of the lover in love. So... Don't forget, the story of Jesus' life is not just that he was perfect so he, he could die for us on the cross and we had nothing to do with it. I believe a greater way of telling that story is to say that his life is identical and meant to be our template to our life. We are becoming what he is, the divine human. We are living out his life again. We are all little Christ. And with that, we will live a fantastic life in this world. And yes, go to heaven when you die, which I don't think was the big part of the story to begin with. But the life of Jesus is our life. And you are the beloved, loved by God, and you walk in love. So I offer this to you in God's name. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.